0: Amen. Amen. Well, Proverbs chapter 5, that's where we're going to be this evening. And we want to invite you to be there with us, hoping that you have a Bible that you're opening. But we also want to give you the opportunity again to let you know that as we're journeying through the book of Proverbs, we've actually printed out chapters of the Bible. So there are the booklets that are available in in the back. If you need to grab one, you can grab one. Uh, Simply put, it's got the whole chapter, uh, chapter five there. So if you're wanting to use that, uh, we're kind of giving it to you so you can highlight, circle, underline, mark it up, do anything that you want to do that would kind of help you to do that because Proverbs is an interesting book. We think it could be helpful. We'll kind of give you some suggestions, but we hope you go above and beyond all that that is. Well, that's the invitation for you guys who are here. If you're in the overflow and you need that as well, it's an offer. But at the same moment, we recognize some of you are catching online and we're so glad to have you with us. And you might be wondering like, how do I get this? Well, it actually is available on our website. You can get our website, calvarywazel.com, and under the messages, the tab, you'll find tonight's message already listed, a PDF there that you can download and print out or use it on an electronic device, however you want, and we think that could be a helpful way, and we'd invite you to do that and, and, and kind of journey with us through this chapter. Well, with that, we're going to take a moment and pray for it. But before we do that, I do just want to say this. Hey, just as we're journeying in this chapter, this is a little bit of one of those chapters. If you pre-read, it's a PG kind of chapter. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem for anybody here in the sanctuary. I don't think. Uh, that said, you know, I know some might be in the overflow or online. And I just want to tell you, if you're, we're not going to go beyond Scripture, but it definitely touches some things that you might be thinking, I don't know. You know, like maybe we should have talked about this before we, we heard it. And so, again, just giving you that privilege, if it's something you need to kind of make some adjustments, Uh, towards in the midst of it. We just want to let you know, hey, that's where we're heading. So let's ask God for help. Would you guys join me right now? Let's just go in prayer and ask that he would give us his truth tonight. Speak to us what he has for us. Father, your word is good and it is needed. Thank you for it. Thank you for wisdom that you offer to us. A way to know what is the right way to live. To know how to do the right thing in a world that is wrong. God, I pray that your truth would just be clear to us this evening. I pray that you'd help us to understand it. I pray that what you wanted to communicate to our lives would be both heard and, in that sense, simply understood and applied. God, you can do that. We ask for that right now. We thank you for your just care in that, asking you to just teach us what you have for us and give us ears to hear what you would say to each one of us now. We pray for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Proverbs 5 is the seventh of ten father-son talks that are found in the book of Proverbs, of ones where you find the father coming and speaking to his son as kind of a one-on-one. And so if you're wanting to kind of follow along, you can kind of just circle it there in verse 1 in your booklet, just this idea that it's addressed to his son Now, if you've been with us so far, we've been kind of bracketing out when there's more than one talk in a chapter. I'm not going to do that in this chapter simply because it's the whole chapter. This talk runs runs the entirety of chapter five. So again, it's encapsulated in one chapter. So again, our aim and intention therefore will be to kind of journey through this entire chapter. But again, I want you to hear it this way. I want you to hear it as God the Father speaking to you as a child That there's a love there, there's a tenderness there, but there's a great concern. There's a great concern that could only come from the heart of a parent that longs for the best for their children, that longs for them to not find themselves, you know, being carried down roads that they shouldn't go. Now, that's always a good place in the place of wisdom, but this is specifically one of those talks. This is kind of, well, for lack of a better way of saying it, kind of the biblical birds and bees talk. It's kind of the place where the father is sitting down and and talking to his son about things that he's facing and will be facing in the world. In fact, you might just notice it. Verse 1 again, my son, pay attention to my wisdom, lend your ear to my understanding that, verse 2, you may preserve discretion and that your lips may keep knowledge he begins this place where he says, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm I'm wanting to help you learn how to be discreet, how to find yourself very specifically not being carried into places of immorality, into places of sexual immorality and and the pain that is found there. Now, I find myself thinking, thinking about everything we wanna say this evening. And I wanted just to kind of pause for a moment and just say how needed this is for us to hear. I mean, for us here right now, Those who are joining us online, I mean, sin is a broken thing in our world, and everybody struggles, and and sin is real, but there's something about sexual immorality itself that finds itself even a bigger deal, that in one sense, it becomes a brokenness that takes more from us, that it becomes an extremely destructive sin. If you want to write a little note on your thing there, you can just write 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, and I'll put it on the screen for you. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So here's, you know, God speaking to us and certainly he's telling us, this is something you should run away from. This is something that that if you could see what it is, it's not meant to have any part of our lives. It's a brokenness that is a part of our world, flee from it. And then he just lets us know, there's sin I mean, sin is, is always destructive, but secu- sexual morality finds a place where not only is it wrong, but it, it actually becomes destructive. It becomes a place that almost seems to take pieces of our soul and, and, and bring in destruction and sorrow and brokenness into that. And I just want to say that's something that we need to hear because we live in such a broken world. Now, this is just an opinion statement. You might disagree with me, and I'd actually... You know, be interested if you see it differently, but I want to tell you, I'm not sure that sexual morality is not worse today than it's ever been in the history of mankind. Again, that might be an overstatement; probably is. But here's what I want you to understand: it's never been as pervasive. I mean, never. I mean, there's so many factors to it. Some of it's the internet. Some of it's, you know, cell phones. Some of it's just that now it's not just, you know, kind of a culture but it drips into almost every household and and every community so that you find yourself looking at this place where you know we're looking at, you know, really brokenness. We're looking at things that that are being discussed within our world that are so far down the line as far as sexual immorality and brokenness. But I mean, in one sense it, it's so left in the the dust what God's original intention is, you know, one man, one woman for life. I mean, God's Plan for what this could be so much so that that's mocked in our world in a way that, again, almost universally, where it's like, well, that's just, you know, kind of prudish, that's kind of, you know, ignorant, you know, in that space. And I just want to tell you how broken this is. And again, maybe, maybe you're aware of it in better ways, uh, but I'm just going to tell you from me, it's a sad thing. I, I can tell you that. In the 26 years of of being a pastor, I've had the great privilege of being involved in in, in watching God work in lives. One of the things I get to do is I get to do weddings, and that's always a fun thing. And I would love to tell you that the vast majority of those weddings find themselves, you know, entering into, you know, a wedded, you know, life kind of flowing in this direction, but I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not true. I, I, I mean, it's really rare find two people that said, hey, I see this. I've saved myself for marriage. I, you know, I, I'm not going to get involved in anything else in this world. It's become, in one sense, almost shocking. I mean, almost in a way that it, it's wrong because it's shocking in the other way. If I sit down and do premarital counseling, it's like, what? Like, like, really? Like, you guys have saved yourself for marriage? It's like, you know, I kind of want to go busting out of my office and just like, hey, guys, there's like really somebody here, you know, that like, listen to God. I mean, it's, just, it, it's so shockingly abnormal. Again, I don't mean that as any kind of condemnation. Brokenness is a part of us. God's forgiveness is there. But what I'm trying to tell you is it's so far past this that that, it doesn't even shock us anymore. In fact, for some, it doesn't even seem a big deal. We live in a world where sexual morality is not even shocking. It's not even moving in so many ways. And, and yet, it's, if, if God is telling us what he's telling us, and he's saying, hey, sexual morality, it's not just wrong. It destroys parts of your soul. It's worse than other things. And there's, so, there's got to be something in a sense to say, hey, maybe this is something we desperately need to hear. And, and, and it certainly is. And so, I want you to hear it from the heart of a father to his child saying, I, I, I want to protect you. I want to rescue you from what this is. And that can still happen. I mean, wherever we are right now, there can be forgiveness. There can be kind of a, a, a reset of, of kind of our moral compass and, and coming back to it and saying, I want to see this the way that God does. So that's kind of where we're going to go this evening, kind of what we want to look at and think through in, in these things. And again, maybe saying some stuff that is fully understood, but may God just meet us in that. God, please help. So this chapter moves, and it really moves in almost four movements, four kind of sections that will help us understand it. The first one really begins here in verse three, where it says, for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. So I'm going to use a little outline. If you want to outline with me, you can do it over on the kind of the right of, of your thing, and you just kind of notice that he says four, and that kind of becomes the place that he's, he said, I, I want you to have this discretion. For you need to be aware of what I'm going to call an alluring immorality. That first section really runs from verse 3 to verse 6, where Solomon is speaking to his son, and, and kind of, or just you know, having this, this idea that that would be given to him, or, or that picture of a father speaking to it and says, here's what you need to understand. There's this dangerous place. There's this dangerous place where he says, for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. Okay, quick FYI, we already did this a couple weeks ago when we did talk about some of this in one of the the previous chapters. Let me just make sure I say this as clear as I can. So he's going to be speaking from a father to a son, and he's going to highlight the dangers of an immoral woman. This is not blaming all immorality on women, certainly not. It could easily be if a father or a mother maybe was speaking to her daughter, she would be speaking of an immoral man. So don't read this in any kind of place that's blaming one or the other. Again, that's not the way the Bible would see it, but he is kind of speaking to one. It's, a, it's, it's this conversation that is from a father to a son. He says, there is some, you need to be protected from because there is out there someone. If you're a man, it's an immoral woman. If you're a woman, it's an immoral man. And again, anything else beyond that goes way beyond what God has. But there is that place of saying, hey, there's this outside that you need to recognize this person, this place of immorality. And he says, here's what you need to understand. The lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth, and again, you're just going to underscore those, the idea of lips and a mouth, that that there is this thought of where that would come, that it seems to almost be so, again, to use the word, alluring. It, It seems to flow off in in such a way that would kind of, you know, put to this in a way of saying, hey, this could be, it, it, it would seem, well, again, you just kind of catch the words. It says the lips of a more woman, they they drip honey, and it has this idea of, of sweet and and, and, and and just almost attractive, that it's smoother than oil at the end of verse three. This place that would have it sound so inviting, but of course he's gonna tell us that's not the case. That's not the case, That that's not where this goes. And yet it's worth just pausing and saying, almost always, again, to kind of put it as an always would probably not be true, but true, but almost always immorality begins here. It begins before we've ever kind of began to go past just this conversation. But it is this place where it often begins it with these sweet words, with this place where that's being offered and talked about in, in a way that begins to, to bring someone and move them down a road that's going to bring them to destruction. So for this perspective, it's this father speaking to his child saying, catch this before it goes past this. I mean, before, before you ever get to this place where immorality begins to destroy somebody's life, it begins right here, recognize it and don't go past it. And, and I just want to say this very, very quickly, but as applicationally as I can. You know, I just want to tell you the true. And some of you would know, and and, and you would understand. You said, "Boy, that's so true. That's how it went wrong." But if I can speak to anybody that's right there right now, who, boy, you you there's no sense that you're trying to be immoral. You're not trying to enter into a relationship with somebody else, but you are enjoying the conversation. You are you know, having this conversation with somebody from, uh, of the opposite sex, and it's like, well, I don't, we don't really mean anything to happen, but, you know, you just enjoy it. You have that, you know, kind of growing familiarity, and maybe it's in person, maybe it's at work, maybe it's online, maybe it's on Facebook, and there's some place where it's almost just it's like, hey, you know, we're just talking, <laughs> you know, but you kind of like the way that, I just want to tell you, that's where it goes wrong, And and, and God would call you away from it right there, like, don't, you know, if you want to not go past this, then you're going to have to stop it there. And I'm just going to tell you, in a world that is so crazy with immorality, it would make you stick out like a sore thumb to be like, I'm sorry, I can't have this kind of conversation you know, like I can't, we can't have these talks, you know, I can't, I can't be a friend, you know, we can't, because that, this is where that thing goes, and I, I draw the line there, and yet he's kind of speaking that, he's telling this, because it says it sounds so good, it sounds, you know, like honey, it sounds smoother than oil, but turn the page, he begins to say, what is really, what's really going to happen, and we'll just go through in verses four, five, and six, just kind of underline and and underscore some things, maybe just the things of, of kind of recognizing where it's going. So in verse four, you might just circle, you know, but in the end. And then down in verse five, but her feet go down. And then in verse six, you know, just that second little part of that phrase at the beginning, the path of life. He says, so it sounds really good, but I want to let you know where this goes. And, you know, it sounds sweet, it's, it's got this alluring, but, but it's going it's to go an entirely different direction that. He says, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And so if you want to underline those, you can just underline bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, like this is going to destroy, like it brings in death. Her steps lay hold of, I'll underscore, just hell there. And so he says, lest you ponder the path of her life, and he just says that there in the middle of verse 6, her ways are unstable. So he says, you know, it, it, it looks good, it looks, it looks like, oh, it's just so nice, it's like this little, just having a nice conversation, it's like, no, I just want to tell you where it's going to go, it'll destroy you. Death is behind this, hell is behind this, this, this is wormwood, this is unstable, and so as the father's talking to his son, he says, I don't even want you to ponder it. He just says there in verse 6, lest you ponder her path of life. He says, you do not know them. And again, I just want you to hear it. I mean, some of you can. It's like the the father looking at his kid and saying, this is not for you. I, I I don't even want you to think about it. I don't even want you to think about what this looks like. Don't play with this, he might be saying. Don't be one who would even think about it. I don't even want you to ponder that path. I don't even want you to know them. Like this is not something that you need to go down into, that you need to enter into. And that's the heart that's here. Just a protective, loving heart that would say, I want better for your life than this. I want better for you than this. Don't, don't, don't play with this. Don't start there. Don't even enter into this place where there's the alluring words, where, you know, that just, well, I just like the way he makes me feel. He compliments me. I like the way she, you know, just kind of speaks to me. And just like, don't even go there. Like, stop it before it goes down. Because it will be destructive. It will be so harmful. And that's really where he goes. As you turn the page there to verse 7, it gets to the second section that really begins with that word, therefore. He says, therefore, hear me now, my children, Do not depart from the words of my mouth. He's like, okay, I I need you to hear what I'm telling you. And so this section really runs from verse 7 to verse 14. And in one sense, it's just inviting us to know, to really understand how destructive immorality is. Now, we've already talked about it a little bit. We saw some of it in just these previous verses. We talked about what it tells us in 1 Corinthians. Corinthians. But again, he just wants us to understand it. It, it He says he wants us to see that if you do go down this line, what it would do and where it would go. And so he's just saying, I don't even want you to go that way. And so he says, remove your way, verse 8, far from her. Do Do not go near the door of her house. He says, I just, here's the thing. Stay away. Remove your way far from her. Do not go near. In some ways, it's just so practical. But it's just so real. You know, they told us in 1 Corinthians, flee sexual immorality. There's a place where he says, okay, when you see it, stay away from it. This, this is, this is the, the spiritual kind of place. And again, it's a weird space. And I know I'm not speaking to everybody, but there's like, some people like, man, well, I, I thought it was gonna be like more spiritual than that. I thought, I, you know, you know kind of, you know, like do something, you know, bind something. Or it's like, no, stay away. I mean, this is, a, is, this is as simply practical as it can be. Don't go there. Like, don't enter into this. Don't, don't put yourself in that situation. Stay away. This is kind of Joseph, you know, when Potiphar's wife, you know, seeks to have an affair with him and he runs. Run away. Flee. Stay away. I don't want Remove your way from her. Just say, okay, that, I, I, I'm not going to even put my, my course anywhere near that. And then he begins to reason with this why. Turning over and the, the page there, or just going down the page, excuse me, there in verse nine. And, and again, let's just do this. We'll just kind of do some circles and some underlines. You might just kind of, again, just hear the warning and he uses these words last. And so you might just circle that in verse nine and then there again in verse 10. He says, if you go down this, this is what will happen. Lest this come about in your life. Lest this happen to you. Verse 9, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one, that there's a sense that it would take your honor. He says, if you go down this road, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy your honor. It'll, it'll, it'll take what, what, whatever that is and, and give it away, your years, in that sense, to the cruel one. And, and it will cost you your character. It will cost you your honor. Verse 10 lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. It will take your wealth. That's just simple. It'll cost you more than you want to pay, guaranteed. So many people have found this out, that immorality, it is a costly, destructive, and it'll cost you your honor. It'll cost you your wealth. It'll cost you what you have. Verse 11 on the next page and, and again, so you can circle that, so it's kind of like less, less, and, like, like, less this happens, less this happens, and this will happen, you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. It'll take your health. It'll take your health. See, sexual immorality does that. It's not a life-giving thing. It's a life-taking thing. It takes your honor. It takes your wealth. It'll take your health. It'll, it, it will rob from you, which is what sin does. Sin takes away from our lives. It costs us. It works deeply in us. And, and there's just something about it that he's trying to communicate that I'm just trying to re say to you and say some stuff that some of you understand but need to get. There's an old quote that has been attributed to a few different people, but nobody really knows who said it first, but I just like it. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. That's kind of what, the, what, what he's saying. He said, you go down this road, it'll cost you more than you want to, to, to pay. You, you think, well, it's just this nice little thing. They make me feel good. They, it's like, no, this will, this, will, this will rob you of your honor. This will rob you of your wealth. This will rob you of your health. This will cost you. I mean, this is not a good thing in your life. It would be an incredibly bad thing. Like, if you could see where that would go and what immorality would do in your life, it would cost you. And then he adds to it there in verse 12. He says, and then you say, and so if you want, you can just kind of circle that, and you say, how I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. So kind of the fourth thing it will do, it'll bring crushing regret. So it will take your honor, it will take your wealth, it'll take your health, and it will bring a crushing regret. Now again, it's not hard to understand. You can get it, but just might just just underline some of the words that are there as he just imagines this. As he says it this way, he says, when you're on your flesh, and sorry, he says, you know, he sits there and says in verse 12, excuse me, he says, and how I've hated instruction, and my, my heart despised correction. He says, you know, I have not obeyed, <laughs> I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, I have nor inclined my ear. So you just need to hear this for a moment. He says, here's what's going to happen. You go down this road, there will be a space where you'll look back, and you'll go, Why? why did I not listen? You know, why did I hate it when somebody told me not to go? I despised the I didn't obey. I didn't incline my ear. And again, I just want to say this as kind as I can. If I never have to have this conversation with somebody again in my life, that would be great. It's probably not going to happen. But I want to tell you, I've had this conversation with so many people. And they would be like, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying to destroy my marriage or my family. It was, it was a one-night affair. I, I, I wasn't thinking about, you know, that this could destroy, you know, my respect, and this could destroy my health, and I, I mean, you know, I, I heard, I mean, why did I not listen to you? Why Why did I not listen to people? Why, I mean, my parents told me, and my friends told me, why did I not listen? Why did I, you know, I, it cost me more than I've ever wanted to pay, and it's been said by so many, and again, I don't want to, again, be harsh, but I know even in this room, in, the, in those lines, some of you are like, it's true, I mean, God is a f- healing, fixing God, and we're grateful for that, but some would say, it, it is so true. You know, it sounds great. You know, people in the world say, hey, this is going to be a good thing, but it is a destructive thing. It will cost you more. It will cost you more. And the last thing you want to be is on the other side of this, living in this horrible, crushing regret, where you're saying, Why? Why didn't I listen? Why, why did I despise correction? Why did I not obey the voice of my teachers? Why did I not incline my ear to, to those who are doing their best to try to help my life? There in verse 14, he kind of pulls that together on the next page. He says, I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. He says, here I am. I, I've destroyed my life. I, I feel like I'm on the midst of, of completely destroying everything I had and everything I am. Sin does that. Immorality does this. It's why we, God, God would speak to us and say, hey, see this. Don't do this. See what it is. See what it can do, because that's not where you want to end up. That's not where you want your life to be. Now, it's an interesting thing, and I just touch on it. He says, I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation, and it's a, it's a question, is he just saying, hey, that's where I was in the midst of my people? Perhaps. Or is it this place that now it's kind of like this person that's come to back to church, and there I am. I'm in the midst of God's people, and I've messed up my whole life. And in the midst of this, I, I almost destroyed everything. That's what immorality does. And so as clear as it can, he's just communicating to us how destructive it is, like why we should go, that's not an okay thing. Like, like who would want to embrace that? Who would say that's an okay thing? It's, it's, it's a bad thing. And yet I know that you guys know this. This is not what our world is saying. Our, our world doesn't see immorality like this. They're like, oh, it's just, it's, just, it's just a little thing. You know, everybody does it. You know, everybody, you know, I mean, everybody that's anybody kind of has these kind of flings and, you know, you know, kind of get with life, you know, and, and it says that, it, you know, it's not harmful, it's not destructive. And even in our immoral world, that's not true. That's not true. I mean, you, you, you could look at, at people totally outside of Christ and you could look at divorce and you could look at destruction and morality. You could say that is, that is left awake in its mess. That is, that is not brought in blessing. That has never been a good thing. Who would look at that and say it's good? It's not good. And again, maybe that's clear enough for us, but we need to make sure we see it. Okay. So we've seen that first part. Now he brings in the third section. Whereas we think about what's going to happen there, it really begins there in verse 15. And this third section is really going to, going to turn the picture for a moment. And it's going to give us a, just a beautiful picture of moral intimacy or the right thing, of, of, of how God would do that. And so maybe you're tracking enough, but I'm going to do this. And you might not be able to write this fast, or maybe you could do it more later. But I'm just going to flip to the last page for a moment. And I just want to kind of put the outline, because outlines kind of work for me, just to remind you where we are. We've already seen that he's tell us, hey, you need to be aware of alluring immorality. That's where it was in the first, you know, little section from verses three to six. Then he's told us, you need to know. You need to know what it will do. It'll bring in destruction. It will bring in ruin. It will bring in incredible harm. And so he's let us know that. And now he circles to this part where in the midst of it, he wants to help us understand what God intended for it what God wanted, and and to see it in, in the right way. So we go back over there in verse 15 again. He says, drink water from your own cistern, and running water from your own well. Maybe again, just a good quick pause. I see the beauty of moral intimacy, but just to be very clear, this is God's good design for sex and intimacy. And as clear as I can say it, I just want to make sure you understand it is a good design. Satan has never actually created anything, ever. All he does is takes God's good gifts and takes them out of the context that God had for them and and places them in a destructive way. I use a silly illustration that I have over the years. It works really, really well for me if it works well for anybody else. Um, We're moving towards fall. Hopefully more quickly as the temperature is rising this week. Not excited about that. But I like fall and I'm really looking forward to that. And then I love getting to the place where we can have a fire. We actually really love having a fire in our fireplace. It's just something we really, really enjoy. And one of the things I'll often say is that if you could see what sexual intimacy is, God's intention for that, it would be like looking at a fire in a fireplace. And what God had in, in its right location and its right design is beautiful. But what sexual immorality did is it took sex and and intimacy and took it out of the fireplace and placed it on the living room couch. And, And that which was intended for good now has become destructive. Now that's just clear. We just said that. But what we need to make sure we do is that we come back and understand that doesn't make what God made good bad. And I know this isn't true for everybody, but here's what happens for some people that they do begin to see the brokenness in our world. And we see all the debates over morality and the press that our world is doing. And, and, and we see all that's happening within this realm. And again, pornography is just destroying our world. Uh, just, you know, just immorality that's on the television and in movies. It's just like everywhere. And what can happen sometimes is that people see that. And so in one sense, they almost just broad brush everything. It's like, that's because that's bad. <laughs> like, that's all bad. Like, that's all bad. Like, that's just negative stuff. And, and we begin to see those as bad, but it's not a bad thing. It's really a good thing. I like the way Hebrews gives it to us, or God gives us in the Hebrews, where he says that marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. He says marriage is, is, is great. It's honorable. And it's the bed, the, the place that God has created for intimacy, that is you could use the word holy. That is something, there's not anything wrong with it. There's not anything that you would look and say that's a bad thing. And again, I know I'm not speaking to everybody, but for someone you need to hear it because there is a sense, again, that we could almost knee-jerk reaction, just say, well, it's all bad. Just everything about immorality has made sex and, and all that's behind that is just always a negative thing, but it's not. And so he just begins to kind of speak this from a father to his, to, to his child and begins to kind of let him know what God intended for this. And we're just gonna notice a few quick things. So he already said it there in verse 15, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. And there is a sense that as you think about that, I'm just gonna kind of underline your own. Like this is, for, this is your own. This is a place where morality, intimacy is meant to be beautifully exclusive. It's meant to be beautifully exclusive. It's not meant to be something that is shared. It's not meant to be something that is beyond just this idea of one man, one woman for life. It's meant to be that way. By the way, quick pause, just in case I need to make sure I address, because one of the odd things about this is this is God's design, and that's a good thing, but we actually know who is really the author of the the book of Proverbs, and it's Solomon. If you know anything about Solomon, uh, he didn't do this really, really well. I mean, we don't, I mean, never really maybe in that sense, quote, or morality, I don't know, 700 wives, 300 concubines. I mean, somehow so broken, but what is fascinating is he's the one that gets to write this, and he knows better. I mean, he doesn't come in here and say, well, actually, like having a thousand women, that's really a good thing. No, he's going to come in and say, you know what would really be a good thing? One man and one woman for life. That's really the good thing that it would be this place, that it would be meant to be beautifully exclusive, and it's beautiful in that sense. In fact, he's going to say it more, so I'll just keep going past that, but it's a place where he knows it even if he's not living it, which is fascinating and, and helpful in some ways to understand. He says there in verse 16, it says, should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the street, that we think about what morality is, we think about what intimacy is, it's not meant to be dispersed. And if you want to just kind of underline dispersed, it's this picture that is easier to almost imagine, at least for me, than to communicate in words. That there is a sense that it's meant to be powerfully undiluted. It's this idea that if you can see what God intended for intimacy, it, it was meant to be exclusive. And that didn't rob it that made it more powerful. And so you can almost imagine it this way. Maybe again, thinking about rain or thinking about water running. And I want you to picture the same amount of water, one, going down, you know, just this river that is kind of bound on two sides. And and, and this water that is now, you know, just where it's, it's, it's not being, you know, spread out far and wide and it's, and it's channeled in this powerful way. He says, that's how this is. But if you go outside God's God's bounds for marriage, it's like you take the same water and just, you know, flush it across a desert, you know, and it just, it's kind of dispersed abroad, and it's, it doesn't, it doesn't move powerfully, it doesn't move singularly, And, and what God is telling us, again, is the exact opposite thing that the world is telling us. The world is saying, hey, if you, you know, have more encounters, if you have more relationships, it would expand your, you know, satisfaction or it would expand what uh, intimacy can be. And God says, actually, it's the other way around. You know, the best way to have the most enjoyable, most powerful place is to have it singular, where it's not outside of this, where you're not dispersing it, where it's not like, you know, just flushing out the water into the streets kind of a thing, where it's becoming almost this overflow of refuse instead of just this beautiful stream. So he gives us that and then says in verse 17, instead, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. And again, it's kind of saying a little bit what we've already said, but again, worth hearing it. It's meant to be only your own, verse 17. That it's meant to be this place where it is wonderfully private. What intimacy is supposed to be is that place that it is shared with nobody else. And it's one of the things that makes true intimacy real intimacy. This place where you could say, hey, this is not something we share with anybody else. I think about how it gives it to us in the book of Song of Solomon, where it says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. It's this place of saying, hey, you know, we are for each other, and and that's it. I mean, and there's something there that is—it's beyond what I can say in words. But it's—it's amazing, and it's beautiful, and it's desirable, and it's that place where you want that, where you would say, "Hey, this is not something that is meant to be for others. It is to be only your own." You don't share this. It isn't something you bring anybody else into. Verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of your youth, and. Just kind of underline those three words, blessed, rejoice with the wife of your youth. So this place of intimacy flows into this place where we, where we think about what that looks like, we think about what that would be, and it's meant to be this joyful commitment. He says, you want to be in this place where you could rejoice, where you could have this blessing, where you're committed to this wife, this husband of your youth, and, and that's who you stay with. And he says, that's what you, you want, that, that place where that's yours, and, and, and it's not to be shared, and it's, and it's meant to be a blessing, and it's meant to be this rejoicing. It's meant to be something that is found inside of a joyful commitment. Again, so very different than what our world is saying, but I'm just saying again, God is saying this. Verse 19, as a loving deer and, and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. So again, here, God's design. He's saying, it. he says, here's this thing. It's meant to be this loving relationship. It's meant to be what he tells us there. It's meant to be satisfying, enrapturing. And again, I just want to try to make sure you hear that this is God's design, like what he's looking for. And so we would say it this way, that sexual, you know, just morality, doing things God's way is meant to be blissfully satisfying. And I hope you understand that. And again, I'm just trying to say our world has robbed. Satan has taken God's good gifts and he messes them up. But our problem is at times we can begin to see those good gifts and say, well, the gift itself is a bad gift. Instead of saying, no, God created it. He's the one that created pleasure. He's the one that invented intimacy. He's the one that designed this whole thing and doing things his way not only is it right, it's meant to satisfy. And again, he uses this word, enrapturing. And I don't even know how to say, that's a big word. I mean, it's not like, well, that's fun. No, it's enrapturing. It's it's this captivating, it's this place of, of incredible joy. By the way, it's worth just quickly noting You know, the idea, he says, it's supposed to be this way at all times and always. And just to very quickly point out, in other words, this is not just for procreation. I mean, that's kind of what some would say. Well, you know, God created embassy, but that was really only to have children. That's not what he says. That's not what he says. I mean, he's saying, no, this is a good thing. This is, I've created something, God says, that is a a really good thing and you want the right thing. You want want the the beauty of what God made, where he says, hey, this would be satisfying. This would be enrapturing. This would be, you know, what, what would be there. And so he gives us this picture of what morality would look like, intimacy would look like, but doing it his way. And you just should be hearing it. Like, this is beautiful. This is private. This is something that's yours, that is not being kind of spread out or diluted, and it's meant to be satisfying. It's a beautiful thing. That God has. So he brings us to the the fourth section, and again, hearing it as this father speaking to his son, and again, if you want, you can just there in verse 20, kind of circle the word for. Again, it kind of gives us the breakup, like, okay, here's what I'm telling all of this is true. Everything I have been telling you. And he just begins to reason. And these final verses of this chapter kind of like what I'll call a reasoned morality. I'm not sure that's a great way to say it, but it kind of flows uh, within the outline that we've had. And so again, I'm going to flip back over to the last page and kind of just imagine seeing the outline all together and remind you what we've seen. He began by saying, hey, there's this place of alluring immorality. It sounds good. It's not. It's destructive. And so he tried to convince us, hey, it will destroy you. It will cost you your health, your wealth. Your, it'll, it'll cost you your honor. It'll bring in crushing regret. Don't go down that road but he invites us to what is good, this place of moral intimacy and everything that's there, and so now he just reasons. Now he just is going to say, and there's this place of just saying, okay, here's what I'm challenging, and, and here's kind of what I'm speaking to you about, and here's what I, what I want to say in those ways, and, and so he just gives us a couple things that are worth noting. Back there in verse 20, for why should you be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? why should you do this? Why? I mean, that's as simple as it can be that there is a sense, and I'll just kind of underline that word why, because that's in much of, like, why go down this road? And maybe I could say it this way, immorality is a willful choice. You don't have to. Nobody has to do this. Nobody's compelled to go down this. You're not going to be forced to go down this road. Why would you do it? If everything we've said is true, and it is. Why? Why would you why would you choose to do to 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 enter into something that is going to be enraptured by an immoral woman embraced in the arm of the seductress when you already know this is going to bring in destruction and it's going to rob me of God's good blessing in my life? It's it's not going to help me, it's going to take away from me. It's it's not going to be good, it's going to be bad. And so it's, it's this kind of just place where you could almost say this. And I just want to tell you, I mean, it's like this father that's kind of trying to give this to his, his son that would say this, like a mother that would want to give it to her daughter so that you could, you could almost just say, here's what I want you to do. When that person is inviting you into this, well, you know, hey, we could just kind of begin this relationship. And you could almost, like, why? Why would I go down that road? Why? I mean that would be destructive. I mean why would I do that? That's kind of what he's is like this is something like you you should look at this and think why would I ever choose to do something so harmful? That's the idea and that's the concept behind it. That's what he's 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 looking for. But then he presses us more. In verse 21, it says for and again as you kind of just think that through and and, and what's there kind of just, you know, looking at it, you can kind of just circle four if you want, because again, it kind of comes into it. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his path. And so I'll just underline those idea, that, those words there. They're before the eyes of the Lord. So as he's reasoning with his son, not only is he saying this would destroy you, immorality is not hidden from God. I mean, that's, that's, that's really kind of important to understand, because there is this weird thing about immorality that it kind of lives in the dark, that that people feel like, hey, this is what's behind closed doors. This is, you know, unseen. And he says, God sees everything. God sees everything. There's not anything you do that is not done... In his right before his face, and not only does he see it, he's God. He's the God who created it. He's the God who is just. He's the God who is repaying. He's the God who is bringing, you know, all of sin's consequences upon mankind. And to say it in the most simple way, nobody's getting away with anything. Why would you do that? I mean, there, there's, there ought to be a sense that you should never do it because it would be so destructive, but you should never do it because... Because God, because don't you understand he knows you, he sees you, he, he's watching you. I mean, how could you choose to go down that road and, and go down that road knowing that you're not hiding from God and he will, he will bring it to, to, to pass. He will bring the judgment across it as he's going to do on all sin. No sin is getting away without judgment. There's no sin that God is not going to deal with. Why? Why would you do that? I mean, this is one of those holy moments where you're like, okay, yeah that should be enough. I mean that should be enough if 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 I could almost put yourself there and so you're 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 almost in this place where somebody's inviting you into an immoral relationship or to begin it, and you'd be like, Why would I go down that road <laughs> like that would hurt me, and you know what God is watching like he sees what we're talking about right now. I'm not okay with that, and he's not okay with that i mean i my my father is is here and and I live my life in a different way it's a It's a powerful reason that is hugely definitive in ways. I wish I could say it better than I'm saying it, but it's good. And so he presses it home in the final two verses and says, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man. He is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for the lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray." So he returns again to just help us understand what would happen for the person who, his own iniquities, that that chooses to to live this life of sin? And again, just reminding us of what it would do. So if you're underlining with me, just underline a few words. His own iniquities entrap. So underline entrap there. They entrap the wicked man. He's caught in the cords of his sin. Underline that. He shall die. You can underline those words for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, you can underline, you know, his folly, he shall go astray. In the greatness of his folly, that's where he's gonna go. So he just, again, presses it home and says, if you don't do this, if you're not gonna live your life before the eyes of God and you're gonna choose to do what's wrong, that's what the wicked do. He says, this immorality, it's a trap. It entraps the wicked. He gets caught in the cords of his own sin. I mean, it's not gonna be good. It's like a mousetrap going off. I mean, that's how a mousetrap works, right? I mean, it has that cheese right there that looks so good, and it's going to bring in destruction. He says, that's what it is. It's a trap. It's a trap, and he'll die. Sin brings in death. It's always what it does. Sin always brings in death. It always brings in destruction. And he says, it's in the greatness of his folly. Or we might just say it in a very vernacular way. It's a really dumb way to live. It's a really dumb way to live your life, because that would be dumb for you to choose a course that's going to bring in your own destruction, it would take you astride. It would take you to be one who is going astray, which is no minor description. In fact, I find myself thinking about that final description for a moment, and my mind immediately rolls over to Isaiah 53, where it kind of talks about what sin is in our life that way. All we like sheep have gone astray. Like, that's what it does. Sin made us so that we veer off course. We go off of what God has, and and, and we've turned everyone to his own way. I mean, it brings in that kind of destruction, and so he's reasoning with us like, that's what it would do for you. It would mess up your life. It would take you away from the course that God has from you. It would be, you know, destructive, and that's where we just need to own this. Now, so much to say. Let me just press this in a couple ways again, I, as much as I can, as clear as I can, I just want to press this upon you in a way that it should change the way you live your life. You are living in an immoral world. It is not even surprising to hear of affairs in our world, of, of people. It's not even, but it should not be you. I mean, God could rescue you from it because it would hurt you. It would bring in destruction. It would bring in harm. And, and I long for you to hear these kinds of things from a father that would speak to his child and say, This is not the course I have for you. Now, as I say that, I need to say this again as well. Here's what I also know. For some of you, this could be incredibly condemning because you're like, I wish I had figured this out 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I've, I've messed up so many spaces. And, and, and I, I, I've brought in some of that destruction into my life. And I want to tell you, seeing this doesn't bash on that in a way that's destructive. It actually brings in help, a, a place where we can see it. Because see, I go back to that verse that I just put up there, just this idea that he's telling us that, you know, as we think about all that that is, you know, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so there's this powerful reality that we look at this and we think about how we've lived our life. And that's exactly why God sent Christ, so that because we are the ones that messed up, he's been that one that comes to, to rescue us. God takes our sin, places it on him, and pulls us back to him. And so as clearly as I can say it, I want to say this. There's not anybody here that this is meant to be, well, there's no hope for you. There's no, there's no fix for the mess you've made. I mean, some of it's a mess, and you're just going to have to own that and live with it. And some of you know that. It's like, yeah, I'm living with my mess for years. But there's grace. There's grace that we could bring forgiveness. There's grace that would cause us to see what God has for us and to know his forgiveness. I want to say this. Our world seeks sometimes to bring in comfort in these kinds of things by lowering the standard of righteousness, by saying, hey, you know, hey, it's all good, it's all fine. And God does exactly the opposite. He's inviting you to healing, not by lowering the standard, but by keeping the standard where it is. Even though if we're all together honest, probably all of us are broken. I mean, all of us are broken in part, some more than others, and, and even in this, where you come and say, I, I, I see what God has, I, I would just long to, to, to be up here, and what God would call us to do is to see what God intended, and, and what sin has brought us into, so that we could see that, and in seeing that, that brings us to Jesus, not by lowering the standard, but by saying, boy, we've messed up, we've gone astray, we've missed what God had for our, I mean, sin has robbed us of, of the good things that God has for our lives. That that what good that could be, but I'm not going to lower that standard and say, well, it's not sinful any longer. It's not sinful because everybody sins. No, I say it's sinful. I'm going to come in and confess my sin. I'm going to come in and do what first John 1 9 says. If I confess my sin, that, I say, that literally if I say the same thing, I say, God, you're right. Like this is what you have. And anything that we've done outside of this, we've 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 we have gone astray. That's why we need Jesus so that we could find help and healing and hope in this. And I just wanna invite you to that this evening, that there would be a space that as you're thinking about all that this is, that there could be help and there, there could be a place where not by, by bringing condemnation, but rescue, it could be that. So again, as we just think through this chapter, not sure how much it works for anybody. I just kind of wanna close with the outline and say, you know, here's, here's again, this, this biblical father-son, birds and the bees kind of talk where he says, here's what you need to know. There's an alluring woman. There's an alluring man out there, and their words sound so good, but they are not. They are not. You need to know it because that would destroy you. That would cost you more than you would ever want to pay if you could see it. That would cost you more than anything else, and then he just impresses upon us. It would rob us of God's good design." in our life, that we want what he has for us, not what the world has for us. And so he just reasons with us, like, why would you do that? God is God, like, live your life before him, because that will only bring in destruction. And I don't know where that finds you tonight, it's a, it, it, but it's a, it's a needed word. Because again, I, it's, it's against almost everything else we hear in our culture. To believe what God says is so countercultural, but it's so right. We live in a world where right is called wrong, and wrong is called right, and sometimes what we're needing to say is, okay, that's wrong, that's not, this is is good. What God wants is is, is altogether right, and just longing tonight that he would bring you to that. So whether that's, you know, kind of just setting up boundaries in your life that you say, hey, I'm not going to go into that, I'm going to remove myself from those kinds of situations, then do that. Where you need to be healed and, and recognize your sin, then do that. But come into a place where we'd recognize our world is is only robbing. I think about what it says in John 10 10, where Jesus says, you know, I've come. I've come to give you life and, and life abundantly. He says, Here's what I, I, I want, I want to give you that which is alive and real and good. But he says, you know, sin has come in to, to, to rob us and, and to kill us and to destroy us. And just inviting us so we can say, that's what you know, that's what that does. You know, sin is a destructively horrible thing and so longing that God would meet you and I in that. So, I don't know where that lands with you, a tough little chapter, but may it work good in us right now. Would you join me in prayer? Let's ask for God to bring us to that and then we'll close together in worship. Father, I thank you right now that you are a God who is incredibly good. I thank you that you're a God who is at work and faithfully so. God, I thank you that... Your good design in our world and in the the areas of of intimacy, of sexuality, is good. What you made, and sin has brought in so much harm. God, it seems to me that it is more pervasive and more destructive than maybe ever. And you know better. Maybe maybe who would say, Jim? You don't even know. But it seems so widespread. And and Lord, I just pray that you would rescue us. You would rescue these as your children from that. God, where that would be protection from the future, would you do that? Where that needs to be healing from the past, where you'd cause us to recognize our folly, our sin, and find healing from you, God, would you do that? God, if, if there, just that you would draw us to, to who you are and what you have for us. And I think about it, again, just Jesus, I think about it, you, you came to give us life and life abundantly. Would you help us to know that? Would you help us to be drawn after you? I thank you that, Lord, we have all gone astray. It was laid upon you, the iniquity of us all. But now, Lord, would you bring us out of that? to live our lives wisely, where we would just kind of reason, like, why would I do that? It would only bring me harm. And God, why would I do that when it's before your eyes? I want to live before you. May you bring us into that in just a powerful and real way. We ask for that together, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.